0: Hello, folks, and welcome back. And if you're a news listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I am your host, Simon Ward. Now, before I get into today's show, I've got a couple of things to say. Firstly, thank you very much to Jonathan Kitto, who I'm dedicating this show to because, once again, he's made us a lovely donation to help cover the costs of the podcast. So, Jonathan, thank you so much. Your support is much appreciated. And if any of you are listening out there and you would like to to make a donation to help us with the running costs and keep away those pesky adverts, then please look for the link in the show notes. Now also, before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high-performance human. It's got nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike, or run, but it's got everything to do with how you sleep, your nutrition, your physical activity, your personal relationships, work habits, and so much more. And if these are areas you'd like to improve upon, we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients. And my wife, Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered. And you can find contact details below in the show notes. All right, for today's show. So if you can recall, back to mid-April, if you're a regular listener, I chatted with Steve Lumley, one of our grumpy old coaches and a long-term friend, who had taken up Mark's challenge of competing the Lakeland 50 this summer. We also spoke with fellow grumpy old coach and the race organizer Mark Leithwaite and I'm pleased to be able to report that Steve managed to complete the 50. And today I'm catching up with him, with Mark, and another guest who would like to welcome to the show, swap member Owen Barden, who was taking on the Lakeland 100. So in the episode we talk about their training for the event, challenges on race day, their choices of kit, nutrition, hydration what they wish they'd known beforehand, and finally, whether either of them will do the event again. So if you like our grumpy old coaches, or you have an interest to take part in the Lakeland 50 or 100 in the future, you're going to love this episode. So let's crack on and hear from today's guests. Hello to grumpy old coaches, Steve Lumley and Mark Laithway, and we are joined by another person for today's podcast, Mr. Owen Barth. Owen, you're, you're not part of the Grumpy Old Coaches. You've escaped lightly there, my friend, but we, we're pleased to have you here because we're going to be talking about the um, the ultra-running event that Mark promotes, which is called the Lakeland 50 and also the Lakeland 100, which are run on, on the same day over the same course, effectively. And um, We did talk about that in our previous podcast. Um, listeners, when we discussed uh, with Steve and Mark, Steve's training for the event and now that the event has happened and Steve and Owen fronted up to the star line we're going to find out how their races went on so um, Mark as the event promoter um, Yellowstone was your theme this year how did the uh, just give us a, your perspective on um, the overall success or not of the event this year
1: yeah all seemed good really And obviously it's 16 years now so it gets uh, your processes get refined every year but, um, but the event seemed fine we didn't really have any issues on the course, no major injuries, no major dramas with the logistics. So uh, to be honest, probably this year is probably the, the smoothest and the easiest it's been. Uh, and we had, good, we had good staff as well. So when you've got good staff who are kind of taking things off you, sometimes you feel like a bit of a loose end because you feel like you should be doing everything and running around like a lunatic. So yeah. when you get time to breathe, you kind of start thinking, oh, should be, I'm sure I should be doing something now. But um, but on the whole no, it was great. It was really good, really good weekend. And unfortunately, it- with the weather, it had been crap. The weather was awful coming up to the weekend. Yeah, and then and then it just turned in time for us, so it was uh, yeah, it was good. And how was the
0: Yellowstone theme and the opening of Ness and Dorma, which you talked about previously on the uh, on the opening evening?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the Yellowstone theme went went all right. I think quite a few people got into it, and it's just uh, it just adds some. I mean, whatever the theme is each year, it adds something a little different. Uh, and Nessandorma, I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, maybe Owen will kind of comment on this, and Steve was there for the start of the hundred, but. The the start of the hundred this year, the whole Ness and Dormer and the, the atmosphere. I mean, it was absolutely electric. I felt personally it was electric, and a lot of people came up and said to me, "Best start we've ever had." And to be honest, I don't know what it was, but like the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. Um,
0: okay, well, Steve and Owen, uh, you had slightly different experiences. Steve, we've um, we we chatted with you about um, your training for this, so I'm going to um, as Matt Owen's the uh, new guest to this. I'm going to ask Owen. To tell us about his experience first. So, Owen, you entered the Lakeland 100. This was a new distance for you, um, yep. a new challenge. Uh, tell us what it was about this event that that made you want to enter into in the first place. And then, um, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll crack on with some questions that I've got for you.
2: Yeah, so I've done I've done the the 50 twice before, uh, and um, you know, I initially heard about the race through through word of mouth, um, and me and my family have been there every year since 2015 so my my um partner lucy did it first actually and i was volunteering with the kids um on one of the one of the feed stations uh howtown with sorry uh mardale which is um uh halfway around the 50 course uh, and we've been back to the race ever since because you know as you mark was alluding to with the um you know the whole atmosphere about the race is is the thing that really makes it special um uh, and so I'd done the 50 twice um, and it so happens that I turned 50 this year, next week actually and so I decided to set myself a new challenge and that challenge was the 100.
0: Okay and I, uh, St- Steve I'm going to come to you now. Yeah. Just remind the listeners about your reason for entering this event because I know we had a bit of an emotional discussion about this at Christmas and in mm-hmm. the last call didn't we?
3: Yeah I will be. before I do so, I just want to go back a couple of things that you know marks talked about the start of the hundred on the um on the evening um on the friday um i wandered up to watch it and to be honest it was I, I can't think of a better start of a race it was super, the atmosphere like he said was superb um i'm a more of an acdc man than than um, pavarotti but the the, the, th- the thunderstruck uh, theme was was superb um and it was it was real hairs hairs in the back of your neck job watching them all off um and another thing you know joking apart we'll get back to the piss taking later but mark has got an absolutely magnificent event up there it is superb um you know we we talk about iconic races but it's uh it's a magic atmosphere it's a great course the volunteers are just out of this world good um and it, you know it's it it is a real gem. So hats off to Mark and um, you know everybody involved in putting that event on because it's the it is it is a little bit of magic.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot here, Steve, because uh, yeah. now I hope you don't mind. <laughs> you you've been around the world and you've raced at a lot of events, including some of the biggest Ironman races out there. Um, mm. I get the sense from what you're saying that this is right up there with them, if not above those.
3: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, it's a, the first ultra I've done, um, so I, I have no experience of, of, of those before this one. Um, but you know, I can't think of a as an event. I can't think of a, a, of a better atmosphere or better organisation. The the volunteers are exceptional. They're they're. Be- I mean, you you go to like a you know an Ironman or a triathlon, and there's some great volunteers. We think of we always talk about Ironman Canada, don't we, mm-hmm. where they're superb. But when you think of the people who are helping out at the Lakeland 50 and 100, they're, they're doing exactly the same job, but they're out there for a whole weekend. The checkpoints are, well, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, they've got to get themselves up there. They've got to get tents, equipment, food, drink, Um you know, out, out into out into the wilderness, and they're, and they're there all weekend, um, probably longer taking down, and setting up. So, uh, absolutely magnificent job by all of them. Um, we'll talk about more about checkpoint experiences later, but uh, you know, the, I would say I can't I I can't think of a better event I've been to.
0: Wow, nice, Mark. You had a little note you put up there, but I think with your with your green <laughs> with your green screen, it wasn't quite visible. <laughs>
1: Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> Can you see it? Oh, hang on.
0: Money. Oh, uh, yeah. On. Money, money in work. the post. Money, money
3: in, in the, the post. post. Is, it, is it what we agreed? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no. Nah. Um, anyway, what was the original question? Yes, my reason for doing it, Um. just to recap, I think we covered it in past podcasts, but, uh, I mean, we well, the three of us, me, you, and me, Simon, and Mark were talking about, you know, different challenges and... Doing something a little bit different, sort of re up the motivation. Um, so, so that that was obviously ticked that box. Um, and then just over a year ago, my my sister died of cancer. Um, so it, everything sort of uh, sort of uh, came together nicely. Really, as a you know, this was a way of uh, doing something different, but also doing something to raise money towards Macmillan um, uh, Cancer Care, who looked after Joe um, in a, in a last weeks and days and and again did a marvellous job so you know it was um uh you know started with the idea of just doing something different and then this this idea of uh you know just doing it for to raise some funds for charity in memory of joe um you know came up as well and and mark sort of suggested doing the lateland 50 um so it all slotted together well um and i'm so glad i did it
0: great OK, right. So let's uh, I know because we're pushed for time today. So, Owen, tell us a little bit about your event. It was your first time at 100 that the end result wasn't quite what you wanted. But just give us a f- feel for how it went for you when you started and how things progressed.
2: Yeah, I mean, um so I mean, the the start obviously from the inside is pretty hair raising, like like we've said uh, in a, in a good way. It's a real goosebumps moment, and I'm you know I've pre- previously been on the out you know been on the outside, been on the crowd cheering all the hundred stars. But yeah, it's uh, it is pretty phenomenal from the inside, uh, running through that basically tunnel. You know, you get an almost like that you know Tour de France type moment going up the hill. Um, with all the support, and and then you know, I really enjoyed. I was uh, running through the night. Actually, I, I thought uh, I was initially. I was um you know a little bit scared about that, if I'm honest. But you know, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed running through the night, and you know, I, I enjoyed you know pretty much the whole experience. Which I know sounds odd when I didn't finish. um But um I just you know, I got to a point where um, uh, uh, I, I knew I'd had enough and it was because um uh, as you know Simon had quite a bad crash on my bike last year uh, and broke a lot of bones I was in a bad way for a bit and I thought it was going to be my feet or you know my my uh, legs that would that would stop me if anything did um but I just ended up you know being pretty uncomfortable and decided like I don't I don't want to run through another day like you know in in this amount of pain so I stopped but you know um like I said, it wasn't, it, I know it sounds odd, but it wasn't a bad experience. I, I still enjoyed uh, it up to that point. And then, you know, I was sort of satisfied with, with, with you know, with what I did. So it was I think, still the furthest I've ever run. And like I said, I just love running through the night. That was great. I, I think that, you know, because um, Steve, Mark and I are all
0: coaches and I certainly recognise that there's a narrative amongst triathletes, certainly that if you don't if you don't meet the outcome, are you getting to the finish line inside the cutoff and getting the medal, that's a failure, but I know a lot of people, when you ask them why they do events like this, you say, well, I want to find out how much I'm capable of, what I'm capable of. So I'm almost mm-hmm. seeking my limits. And it sounds like you've actually found where your limits are. So in some ways, that's an that's a roaring success, isn't it? Because you know what you're capable of at this, to this point. And you've probably got a lot of things that you've learned from that that will enable you to go back and, and you know, complete the 100 next time.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, uh, it- I, I, I inevitably afterwards I, I wondered you know had I had I let myself down should I have should I have carried on um and this uh, I mean this is a nice little story for you my, my my for the first time um me and Lucy my partner were able to run the race together because before the kids have always been too young um uh, so one of us would volunteer and, and one of us would race this year the kids both volunteered while, while we both raced. so she was doing the 50 and I was doing the 100 and I was due to come through Dale Main to start the 50 around about the time she was going to start the 100 but it was a bit later than I than I anticipated but so she ran that first loop around Dale Main, that first four mile loop and then waited for me waited for me to come through and she said she took one look at me and said, no, you're, like, you're done, mate. Right. So so I think it was the right decision. Um, but um, and I definitely did find my limit on that day. But that doesn't mean I won't have another go, you know, another another time.
0: Brilliant. Steve. Um, Super. Owen,
2: did,
3: sorry, sorry. Did you stop at Day or mine? Yeah. Oh, right. Right. OK. And you weren't I... you were you weren't the guy asleep by the shores of um, Horsewater then?
2: No, that wasn't me, no. <laughs> I was stopping in uh, Swiss roll and custard. It was great. <laughs> that was a highlight. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Steve, tell
0: us a little bit about your race day experience. Steve looks like he's gone to sleep. So, um I'm going to come to you, Mark, while Steve Oh, he's back. Tell us I'm about back. your race tell us about your race day experience, Steve.
3: Um well, I mean <laughs> I think the whole day was a one long slog to be honest. I think um Um, there were no, I wouldn't, no no major dramas, really. I mean, I I I don't think finishing was ever in doubt, seriously. Um, I had a bad moment, um, by Horswater where I slipped down that, off that path. I think Mark and Owen will know it, the one, the one in the bracken. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I went sort of, um. So I slipped. Yeah, basically, I think there was somebody behind me, and I turned to sort of ask them through, or or just say something. And next thing I knew, I was uh, I was uh, halfway towards the lake, but um, <laughs> I managed to, and I, I managed to snap my pole as well. So I'm not sure if I fell on it or if I um, just just uh, just trying to stay upright, I just put too much pressure on it. But either way, it went. So I was. I think that was about 25 k. So the rest of the time, I was on one pole. Um, but um, and then the, I, I, probably the lowest point was like around Ambleside, um, where I think I was I got towards Ambleside as it was getting dark, um, and then I sort of pretty like that was a pretty low point. I, I I spent a long time at Ambleside checkpoint because um, it, it, it's probably in, in, it's nice and warm and it's in a nice uh, nice building and there was uh, lots of people, <laughs> so I think I sort of. I sat around chatting for far too long there, sort of uh just working up the uh, motivation to get back outside because I knew you know I think it started raining and it I knew it, it was it was obviously the rest of the way was in the dark now, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a you know sit down and a uh, long hard chat with myself to get back out the door and get going again
0: um we've we've ordered. We've all had moments like that haven't we where it's dark and it's raining and you're feeling rubbish and there's just a the motivation to stop it's can be overpowering
3: Yeah it was it took me it took me a while to get uh, get off the chair <laughs> Did, yeah.
0: Have you ever been do you go to these checkpoints mark and sort of speak to the uh, um the runners uh, as they're going through and sort of give them a bit of encouragement and motivation or do you try and stay out of the way
1: No just you can't really it's it's logistically not possible you know, because mm. some of them are hours and hours to drive away from Coniston. So the, the HQ is in Coniston. You know, so if, if you're, if you're, um, we've got a team, it's not just me, but there's a team of us who are directing the event, And that's, we have a place based in Coniston in the school where you're directing everything from. And it'd be nice. I kind of miss that. I, I see all the pictures and go, oh, I would have loved to have been there and sample the atmosphere. But you you kind of can't really, because you're on it all the time. And you're, there's always something you're looking after or having to firefight. fight. So you can't just go off on a jolly and go and visit all the checkpoints you really need to be at Coniston all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Owen, um you've obviously you've done you've done the 50 twice and you? you've been there uh, as a spectator but is you know having got to the point where you got now is there anything you wish you'd known ahead of the event?
2: Um not quite that I wished I'd known but one thing that I really didn't uh, appreciate was how tight the the cutoffs are in the first part of the course. Um so um i mean i i mean you know i'm a fairly you know fairly decent runner i'm not i'm not a sort of back of the pack sort of runner normally um but you know i was i was surfing those surfing those cutoffs at the beginning of the race so the first quarter of the course is by far the hardest in terms of the terrain and you're also going through the night and like mark said the weather the couple of weeks before was just terrible so a lot of the paths were basically streams so it was, it was hard going, and, and like Steve, I had a pole issue, right? Right, but mine was right at the start. So obviously it's like a telescopic pole, and going up the very first hill, mine jammed, it wouldn't extend. I thought, oh, well, I don't want to spend the race, you know, maybe a hundred miles with one pole. So I stopped to try and fix the pole. So as you, the, at the very start of the race, you go up a steep hill out of Coniston and up towards the copper mines. And on that very first hill, I stopped for a few minutes, like wrestling with my pole, and eventually it popped out and I fixed it. But that put me right at the back uh, of the pack. And then there's a pinch point, which is a uh, you have to cross a bridge, a miners bridge, and then you're on a quite a lot of single track, and then, then obviously you're stuck at the pace of the of the slowest person in front of you. So, so so right from the get-go, I was kind of at the back of the pack, and that left me surfing cutoffs for you know for the whole, you know, right till I got to. Fact uh, till six o'clock the next morning, basically. So, so I'd be striving, you know, not to get stuck at the back at the start. Would be would be the one thing I would I would I would uh, I would change probably. Yeah.
0: How about you, Steve? We had a bit of a laugh and a joke about your training and preparation in the last podcast, but um, <laughs> I, I know I know you did a fair bit of prep. Um, uh, yeah. Is, anything else? Anything else? <laughs> looking back, anything else you wish you'd known ahead of the event? Um,
3: um not, not. I think. I think um I mean I, I I had been up to and I had done the whole course um in two halves prior to the event uh, the fifty not like you know I did I needed the fifty <laughs> um so I had done that um I think there's two things i would I would change if I were to do it again one um the the course I think i I spoke to you uh, um about this before Simon but you know again i've got a i've got a experience of one ultra now but the, i didn't find an issue with the the distance really i didn't really find an issue with the the ascent and the descent the real issue with the lakeland 50 and i would guess any any upland 50 certainly in the uk is the the roughness of the terrain so going up and down on a lot of the the climbs and descents you've got you know, big steps and big boulders, big stones. So you're not, you're not just running downhill or uphill. You're actually sort of, you're actually doing a lot of in some a lot of step ups or step downs. So um, I think I would I would um, probably do a lot more step ups in training because I found quite a lot. Well, especially in the second half when I was getting tired, and um, as Aaron will, will, will back up, there was a lot of gusty winds in places as well that I was actually sort of. Especially going up, you know, it's sort of it's taking big steps up these these rocks and steps and boulders, and kind of always a little bit wobbly. And then it only took a gust of wind, and there was quite a few times where you know it was it was one step up and, and straight back again. Uh, a couple of times into people who just <laughs> shoved me back up. Um, I think, but one one time I did fall. Not not bad. It was just you know um, embarrassing more than anything. Um, so I think I would do more training on 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 stuff like that. Really, you know, where, where it's really uh, unpleasant uh, underfoot. Mm. Um, and the other thing was was going through the night, um, which I didn't do any night running in preparation, um, and and that was a mistake. I think just more for morale, as much as anything, because um, I think you know, as as I just mentioned before, that was probably morale was at its lowest as it started to get dark um so i probably i probably would uh recommend you know at least get an experience of of running or walking or well, walking because i was i was walking by then <laughs> uh, you know in the dark
0: mm. mark um just a quick answer from you when when you speak to people at the end or you you have sort of um communications with them at the event what's what's the biggest thing that, that, that sticks in your mind that people
1: don't do in preparation for the event that, that you would recommend? Um, For me, I, I'd say course familiarization. Yeah. So looking at from a from a, I can't suppose, a sports psychology perspective, if people enter, they enter. And, you know, this is what happens with, with race organizers, and us being one of them, is you create a race video and all this, and you put it on Facebook, and everybody watches it. So when you capture all the good stuff, people – um obviously want to watch that they they want to come and do the event but you don't you don't advertise an event by showing them the bad stuff that you know the low points and how hard it's going to be and i think people come into it and think it's going to be amazing but if they've not sampled the course and they don't know how hard it is going to be there is an element of outside of all the kind of fancy dress and all of this kind of stuff and the atmosphere and and the volunteers it's really really hard to run 105 miles over that terrain and it's very hard to run 50 miles over that terrain as well so the most common thing I hear when people drop out in the hundred, in particular, you know, you you only get like a sixty percent success rate in the hundred as an average every year. Sometimes a touch higher than sixty percent. Quite often, lower than sixty percent complete it. The most common thing I hear is people will say, "I never expected that." Mm. So which tells me they've never been and recce the course. So when people come and recce the course, we have recce days where people come and run, and on the recce day, people drop out of the recce day on sections because they only manage two checkpoints and you're only recce in like a quarter of the course, like maybe 20, a 20 mile recce run or something. And they're dropping out on that and asking for them to bring us back in the bus because they just didn't realize how hard it was going to be. So I think from a psychological perspective, you can call it familiarization or whatever you want to call it and adjusting your brain to this, a perception of in your head with a picture in your head and then matching it with reality of what it's like on race day. People need to go and recce the course in advance. They need to go and recce it, and they need to see how hard it is and get over that hurdle beforehand because that's not the kind of thing you want to be experiencing firsthand on race day. So mm. you don't want to be turning up and on race day thinking, oh, my God, I didn't expect it was going to be this hard because that yeah. will just blow your mind. And then yeah. you're struggling the turmoil of dealing with it because you just weren't expecting this. And that, that happens in all endurance sports, doesn't it? But you know, with Lakeland, I think specifically one of the things you can do
2: is recce the course. Those are- Official ones, they are actually really good events in their own right, the 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 wreckies the that Mark and his team put on. Mm-hmm. You get some of the same sort of camaraderie and whatnot uh, as you do on the race. So so uh, there are, and some of them, a couple of them are ultras in their own right, you know, 27, 32 miles long, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I would echo that from Mark. They really are worth doing. Uh, Owen, just um, t- tell us a little bit, of if you can,
0: about your training um, leading up to the event and particularly I, I'm interested um, in what was the longest um, run or the longest duration that you did on your feet in prep
2: well my prep was a bit uh, mixed in the sense that I had as as you know Simon a couple of fairly big events before the 100 so I had the London marathon in April uh, and I was trying to go fairly quick at that and I had outlaw half after that and then the 100 in July so so you know, I had a, a fairly balanced um, sort of triathlon program for most of my prep, but with a sort of running emphasis, uh, and and sprinkling in where I could, you know, days in the days in the mountains. So for for running, so like the recs we've been talking about, quite fortunate in that uh, I live in Liverpool, and so uh, Snowdonia, the Peak District, the Lake Districts are all within ninety minutes. So it's not too difficult for me to get out into the hills. Um, I do regular sort of hill sessions anyway as part of my run training, but yeah, some big long days in the, in the, in, in the mountains as well. So, um, the longest one, the longest ones were actually the wreck like I say, there's one that I think 27 miles and another one that's 33. Um, I was running them with friends, you know, so I was a little bit slower than I would have been on my own. So they were sort of seven hour days out, I would say. Huh. Seven hour runs. Okay. So you, you said, you said earlier that you would go
0: back and do it again. So yep. what adjustments would you make to your training next time?
2: Um, I think the, the main adjustment that I would make, well, something I haven't mentioned actually is that I did, act, and uh, and I'm going to be sort of teacher's pet here, but I did focus quite a bit on uh, strength and conditioning, particularly around the hips and hip flexors, because I know that that's the bit that will start to hurt, you know, after a long time. So, So I did some specific strength training around that. So I would definitely keep that in the the other big change I, th- I think would probably actually be a mindset one in the sense of th- having to think about the event more as more as speed hiking you know with with maybe a bit of running thrown in than that a running event because it is so far um uh i think i had to need to just adjust the way that i think about it rather than the way i train for it
3: i think i'd i'd um i'd second yeah. that you know even even on the 50 i think um it's uh, perhaps an error I made was trying to run too much of it, especially early on. And I think if you consider it as a foot race rather than a running race, that is that is that that is a better way of thinking about it.
0: Mark, you had your hand up there. Did you want to... Um...
3: <laughs> Teacher's pet.
0: <laughs> Did you want to jump in there, Mark?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say the, the point that um, Owen just made there is really true in that I've said this so many times. If you look at the 50 and you look at the 100 race, most people are probably walking 80% of it. Yeah. You know, as an average, I would say, across from the front ones to the last ones, they're walking 70 to 80% of it. And the problem is when you're training for a marathon, people training for marathons struggle to step up to ultras because they, if you're training for a marathon, it's fair that you might be able to go out, you'll, you'll run your longest run bike with 20 or 22 miles mm. and you'll run it at a decent pace and then you'll turn up on race day and run 26 so based on that, I think marathon runners look at a 100-mile race and think, so how far have I got to run? So is my longest run going to be 70 miles or 80 miles? Or And the reality is you you probably – the marathon is probably that key distance whereby you can run it well. When you start going beyond marathon, things start falling apart. So for a 50-mile ultra, you can't therefore double your longest run distance. You know I still don't think people should be running further than 20-odd miles for a 50-mile or 100-mile race. The bulk of it will be trekking, it will be walking. And it'll be mindset. Because you, you know, we talk about mood state and mindset. What will happen is people will do loads of fitness training and they'll go out and they'll run hard for two, three hours and they'll do 20 mile runs. But then on race day, they'll be out there by the time they get to 15, 16, 17 hours on the feet, and they're just thinking, How much longer is this going to go on? It's just the 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 brains that have been better going and walking for 12 to 16 hours rather than running for four, just to get their head around the the time scale of
0: it. Yeah, I've I've come across that before with with folks doing things like marathon disabled as well, multi-day stage events, which are really for most people just a long walk. Um, and it is about a mindset. And I've I I did a podcast with Jason Coop, um, who's an ultra running coach in the United States and he mentioned mindset as being a huge thing that people overlook, you know, and definitely that what Mark's just mentioned about stepping up from marathon to ultra is a is a completely different mindset. Um just, so that's... Say,
1: sorry, just one other thing as well. I mean, that what Owen talked about there—doing the strength and conditioning and so on—you're you're far better going into this hundred-mile event fresh and healthy and strong, yeah. rather than overtrained. Because you can't—you can't prepare for a hundred and five-mile race. You can't go out and run eighty miles every Sunday, so your legs are conditioned to it. So you'll always be underprepared. You know, you—you you, you won't have done that distance in training. So you need to go in psychologically right, fresh, no injuries, no niggles, strong, knowing that you're going to be, you know, resilient for the whole event. And and because it's just it's just impossible to go in and, you know, say so you, you can't physically be prepared.
0: Steve, um, tell us a little bit more about your training. I know we talked about it in the last podcast. Um, you said there that you felt like you did probably a bit too much running and not enough long walking. Um, what other elements um would would you change um, when you? I know because I know you've said you'd, you'd like to go back. So uh, what would you change? It? Would, oh, no, sorry, I mean, have, a, have a let the cat out of the bag there. Oh, yeah.
3: Sorry, I need to have a I need to have a a, a chat with Mark. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, uh, no, I think. What was the, your time, one... Steve? Sorry, what was your time? Uh, Seventeen
1: fifty. All right, okay. Just checking you went under sixteen. Go on, sorry, carry on.
3: No, no, no. I, I, I. I... Well, I'll I'll say now I think if I went back again my aim would be to get get the qualifying and then the year after that I'm sixty. So um better way to celebrate. I cannot think. <laughs> um but we'll okay, talk Steve, about that so, later. Yeah, so come on, what when you get um, when
0: you go back to break sixteen hours, what are you gonna change about your training?
3: No, I say that it, it wasn't it wasn't the walking in, in training, it was actually on the day. I think I cause um the first I forget the name of it now, but the first sort of couple of relatively short climbs, you know, I was, I was sort of, I did have the mindset, oh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll keep running because I like, I do like to get into a rhythm. Um, But with hindsight, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't make me, it didn't save me any time. I'd have been, I'd be better off walking those, um, as most people around me were. Um, Training wise, very similar to Owen, I was sort of running. I tried to run every other day. I did a long sort of hike run sort of two two weeks out of three. Um my longest was were the two wreckies of the course. So I went up and did the first half. Well, I did just over half. I went from the um from dale Main to um to Kentmere. Um uh, was it Kentmere? Yeah.
2: Ambleside, isn't it? bridge to Ambleside, isn't it? I think.
3: No, I didn't do the official record, I did it on oh, my own. Yeah. So oh, so I was dropped off at, at Dale Main, and I I went to Kentmere, which I think is just over halfway. Um, and that was um, – uh, no, sorry. I, I, the first one I did was I did the second half. So I started in Sadgill, and I finished at, the, at Coniston. So that was about 43K, I think, and I was out for about eight and a half hours, of which about seven and a half were I was actually moving. And then I went back and did slightly short. I did the first half. I think I was out for seven and a half hours, um, probably moving for about six thirty, six forty. Um, and then the rest of the time, as, as I mentioned before, I live where I live, I'm not to hills. Um so I did try and and just keep an eye on the sort of tried to make my longer runs. Um in terms of you know uh, elevation gain and lost similar to to the event which i i can do around here um so you know the, the the um there was no nothing fast nothing really fast nothing extravagant it was all just sort of lots of hills um all off road um the only thing i i say i didn't i haven't quite i didn't do enough of was the really rocky really big sort of um big rocks big steps kind of stuff um which which i would uh, i would look to do more of um <laughs> if i were to go back um, And, and, and as i you know i was in the gym but i would do more um specific stuff on, on that kind of thing you know like you know single leg work step up step downs um you know the core area as Aaron mentioned i didn't I didn't have any major, you know, specific leg problems, you know, above the the general fatigue. Um, the, my most uh, the bit that ached the most was my right tricep because I was, as I say, I had one pole and it was predominantly on my right side, <laughs> so that was the bit that was aching more than anything. Um, but um, yeah, I was reasonably happy with with the the um, with with the uh, the preparation. Um, the, the only thing that would be the case in futures that I, I you know because I don't think I actually sort of I don't think I really started till March and as we were talking about before I you know I' done a long period of not doing an awful lot so I had from March to the event um you know and it it, it was it was enough time because obviously I got round and I finished which was the main goal so um uh, you know I, w- I would I' I've, I've kept up I've kept up some training now <laughs> so I would uh, I would be going into to the training a bit fitter next time.
0: Uh, Owen and Steve, this is a question for both of you. Um, you. You both triathletes come from triathlon background. Did you include cycling or swimming at all in your program when you were specifically training for the Lakelands, or did you just focus on running and walking and the time you'd had in the gym?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because I, um, as I say, because I had outlaw half in May, I, you know, I did have swimming and uh, swimming and cycling in the plan, and then after May. Uh, I did a bit, yeah. I, I continued with a bit of cycling and swimming, maybe once once a week or so. Um, so yeah, I did. I did continue to, to to mix it up, even when I had you know a strong running focus. Um,
3: Steve, what, I, Steve, what about you? No, I didn't actually. I basically I had an issue in the back in uh, sort of January February, which stopped me cycling. Um, ironically, it was fine running. I didn't even notice it. Um, But so, so really from, from when I started uh, preparation for the, uh, for the 50, I was just running um, and and gym.
0: Okay. Would would you change that next time at all? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, No, I mean, that was, yeah. So I would, I would, um, I'm back on my bike now and I I would, I would uh, look to mix. I don't think you can prepare for that event and try and keep, um, uh, you know, an even balance as, as, you know if you're a sort of a air air quotes normal triathlete (laughs) um i don't don't think you can seriously train for that that length of ultra and not focus on it um but you know a bit of cycling and a bit of swimming would i I would certainly recommend it as much for recovery as much as anything
0: okay let's talk about um things like uh your hydration and nutrition strategy and your kit because i know when we chatted on the pre-podcast steve we we did talk about elements of kit that you might want to use um owen i'll come to you first briefly tell us about what your nutrition and hydration strategy was going into the race how closely you were able to stick to that and whether you'd change anything next time
2: the food you know the the, the food on the uh, and, and drinks on the checkpoints are is actually really good um and i you know i knew what to expect you know having having done the race before so you know i uh and I, and I don't like things really like like gels and whatnot. I just saved them for emergency. So I didn't carry a great deal of food. Um just a few sort of jelly babies and flapjacks and things. Um and other than that, I um uh I, I just uh took what I took what I wanted from the um uh from the from the from the feed stations. Um and that that worked fine. I think the one thing that I would change is that I um I deliberately avoided uh caffeine through the night, you know, thinking that I would save it, you know, save that for when I felt like I really needed uh a boost in the in the latter half of the race. But um uh I think I would probably be you know um probably be open to, to a bit more caffeine earlier in the race but that's that's the only thing I would change really I didn't have any gut issues I didn't have any problems uh with that sort of a thing uh you know there's there's plenty of opportunity to get water on the way around I did also actually buy a one of the one of the special soft flasks that will filter water for you, um, so that you can fill it from the streams and whatnot in in between stations if you wanted to, because uh, I thought that might be um, useful if it got if it got hot, um, and that's a really handy thing to have. Actually, I, I'd, I'd recommend carrying one of those. Okay.
3: What What about you, Steve? Um, well, that was nutrition on the day. Nutrition was actually the the biggest problem I had. Um, not entirely sure why, but it needs some investigation. I basically after about halfway, I was constantly nauseous. And um, no, it wasn't a hot day, was it? It was, it was, it was warm, but it wasn't, it wasn't hot. Um, I tried to. I think, I think it was one of Mark's sort of uh, suggestions uh, was was try and eat as much normal food as you can. Which again, you know, the aid station supply uh, plenty of it. So the first until uh is it Kentmere um I think I had a bowl of pasta there but after that that was the last sort of solid food I could get down so from there on I was sort of the only thing I could sort of manage to get down was a, a handful of jelly babies so I was having a few jelly babies at the checkpoint and then taking a few with me um and just sort of drip feeding as we went so I never really got rid of the feeling of nausea after after about halfway, um, so that that's something I do need to to look at. Um, it, it's happened a few times in the in in the the more recent IMN I've done as well, where I've um, uh, on the end of the bike start well all the way through the run. I've I've had a, a not not really bad, not to state not to the extent of throwing up, but just nagging nausea that just stops you getting enough down. Um, and you know, well, not for want of trying. I really, really wanted um, on the last aid station, the last checkpoint. They do cheese, cheese toasties. I think. <laughs> oh man, I really wanted one of them <laughs> just before Jacob's ladder. Um, but I, I just, you know, as soon I was in the queue to get one, and just the smell was like, oh, actually, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to get this down. So there was another handful of jelly babies, and and off I went. So that, that's something I do need to look at um, uh, for next time.
0: Uh, one of the conversations um, we had, Steve, in our previous call was about walking poles, and obviously you took mm. Mark's advice and um, decided to go with those. And and you had them as well, Owen. But it seems like you had problems. Is that is that just bad luck? Do you think, or is it is it the design you were using? And would you would you use different ones next time, Owen?
2: I think it was just a bit of bad luck, you know. They, 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 I've never had a problem with them before. I, I actually went um, in in March time. I, I went up and did a did a course in the lakes on how to run with poles, and that was a big help actually. Um, um So I think it was just a bit unfortunate that it that it stuck on the day. I mean, I would I would use it again. I use them again. They are they are definitely a massive help. But that said, they were the, that constant using the pole and obviously digging it into the ground that's then putting pressure onto your shoulder and so the one the shoulder that i broke then started to hurt a lot eventually oh, so, okay. yeah. so i think i'd need to figure out how to how to deal with that i don't know if i need to do more strengthening around that shoulder or what um but yeah I, I would i would definitely continue with them they're a massive massive help steve did you you said
0: you you said you noticed that your tricep was tight are you did you experience similar problems to owen then from using the poles
3: uh well i say i i it, in training, they were fine, and and I would echo what Owen said. They're they're a massive help, um, as downhill as much as uphill, um, and then in the bogs as well. <laughs> you know, a little bit of help. But I, as I say, I the only reason my my tricep was playing up was because I broke one. So for for most of the, the the event, I was I was I was I had one pole, um, which I, and I favoured my right my right hand just because I'm right handed. So um, I did swap a little bit. But I think it's better better to have one pole in your good uh, in your good hand. Um, but I just found like towards the end, and then the next morning, my my right tricep and my right shoulder were, were very sore. But now I, I would um, I say and I, you know the only reason I lost one because it was it was the fall and it, it broke. I, I suspect I landed on it, and it, you know as soon as you put lateral pressure on, it's just uh, it's just gonna snap. So. What? Oh,
0: and what shoes were you using, and were they were they the right ones?
3: Um, I was
2: wearing Hoka Hoka Mafate fours. Uh, yeah, I think that I think they were they, they're they're a great shoe, actually. Yeah, they're, they're some of the best trail shoes I've ever had. Yeah, they were
3: they were great. Uh, very,
2: they are very grippy, Steve, on the you know on that slippery stuff. And I don't normally like cushioned shoes. I've got to say, I normally go for for pretty minimal um footwear but again given the distance i thought i thought a bit of cushioning made sense so yeah I, the shoes were good steve mm-hmm. uh
3: hoker again speed goat okay um which i've i've, I've been in Hoka's for several years well probably about eight years and i've had the, the speed goats are excellent i'm, I'm fortunate i'll touch word. i'm fortunate that um i have quite resilient feet um mm. So you know, in in training and on the day, I didn't have any blisters or hot point, hot spots or anything. Um, but the hawkers, yeah, definitely, i stick sticking with them.
0: Yeah. Did did either of you tape your feet at all to protect them from getting blisters?
2: No. Vaseline. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't tape them before. I did. Um, so I did. I, one, I was very careful about my foot preparation actually in the run up because everybody says it's important. So I did uh, wear sort of two pairs of, so a liner pair of socks, you know, the Injinji toe socks, a liner pair of socks, and then then, um, then ordinary socks. And I also had sort of barrier barrier cream on as well. But to be honest, even that, it was so wet. And even with waterproof socks, actually, it was so wet, it didn't make any difference in the end. So by by sort of 33 miles in, by, by a, a, a Braithwaite checkpoint, you know, my feet were already soaking wet and the, and the medics were, they were starting to blister and even the medics couldn't get the dressings to, to stick. Um, not what you could do about that really, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, just one of those things. It was just so wet.
0: Mark, um, I'm going to bring you back in here. Anything you want to add to, to this discussion about, um, nutrition, hydration and, and kit choices?
1: Um, in terms of, I mean, hydration and nutrition is just one of those things, isn't it? When, pretty much like 80% of people say, oh, I got my nutrition wrong and I got my hydration wrong. And I think they can be sometimes be over analytical because I think when you're knackered and you're on an ultra race, you will start feeling sick and you won't be able to eat food and things like that. And that's not because you've got your nutrition wrong. That's just because you're knackered. Um, but there's a couple of interesting things you find with like, we see with, it, with the heat and the temperature and stuff like that, you see a lot more sickness when it's warm. And I think one of the things that sometimes catches the 50 runners out is they start in the middle of the day. And they go into the toughest part of the course in the middle of the day. So they hit the biggest climbs in the, uh, in the middle of the start of the race. Um, And they're at the freshest as well. So I think the 50 runners in particular are very prone to, to pushing themselves too hard. So the the bulk of the 50 dropouts happen at the, at the second checkpoint. And then once the second checkpoint, they're fine after that. So what they do is they set off, it's middle of the day, it's warmer than they think because the, they're fresh. They run the first ten miles, and like Steve did, run all the little uphills at the start. i <laughs> will be a bit drizzly, and they get off because they get off the bus, and it's been drizzling. They've got the rain jackets on, and it's midday, and it's twenty degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they hit Fusedale, where there's no breeze, which is a really tough climb from checkpoint one to get down to Haweswater before they move along to checkpoint two. And people just kind of blow the lid, and we get a massive number of dropouts at Mardale Head which is the second checkpoint once they get past mardale and they get to kent and then they get on to side they generally finish so i think um i think the people that are sick tend to be sick because they're probably too warm and they've, and they've run too hard at the start and you know what it's like it's a simple physiology of this isn't it once you're knackered and your body's tired the body starts rejecting food mm-hmm. that's not people getting nutrition wrong that's either lack of fitness or bad pacing but I think um, if they get anything wrong, it's probably more hydration than nutrition. I think people get quite dehydrated in that first stretch for the first couple of checkpoints. The, the 100 runners, if you think, they start at 6.30 p.m. and they're running into the night, so it, the, the, and the darkness will slow them down because they can't see where they're going as well, and it's cooler in the evening as well. So it's interesting the dynamics of the the time of day with the temperature and the light and everything, how it affects people's pacing. Um, um, you know whether it's kind of you know subliminal to some extent but yeah I think that 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 does impact quite a bit.
0: Mm. And
1: um,
0: you know Hocus the most popular shoe these days for for these events
3: Mark?
1: Yeah yeah. I think I think for those kind of longer distance events you know the um, uh, cushioning is going to always going to help people something cushioned and it's hard I mean the, the, it used to be that you know many years like 10 years ago if you get, if you bought cushioned shoes the grip was always poor on them and if you bought the shoes with good grip, the cushioning was always poor. Uh-huh. Like one or the other, getting the shoe in the middle, it's got really good cushioning and a really aggressive tread. And I think that's why I like Hoka as an example. And there's a lot of the brands are copying the Hoka's now, so they're going for maximal cushioning and, and a good tread. So I could name lots of other brands. But I think overall, you're never going to find a perfect shoe unless you're going to carry four pairs of shoes and keep switching them for the different sections. Uh-huh. But ultimately, that uh, in the 50 and, and more so for the 100, you're not going to be hurtling down the descents like it's a fell race, you know. You, it's we've said people are walking eighty percent of it, so it's just a kind of war of attrition. So in terms of the grip required, you're not going to be going full throttle down to, down a descent. So um, I'd always go for cushioning and protection over grip if you're forced to make that choice. Yeah, uh, and just take your time in the places where you need grip. But yeah, you're never going to find the perfect shoe, not unless you're going to carry four pairs and keep swapping them. <laughs> Okay,
0: Steve. Um, You're going to do it again for definite.
3: Uh, it, it, it's uh, uh, yes.
2: Owen? if I if I can get in. Yeah, so I'm in for the 50 next year, and and hopefully have a stab at, at the 100 the, the following year again if if I can get in. It does, you know, as you know, as Mark alluded to there, it does sell out increasingly quickly, doesn't it? Even I think even the charity places went in about 20 minutes this year. Um, but yeah, that, that that's 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 what I'd like to do. Another stab at the fifty and then another stab at the hundred. Okay.
0: Um Steve, you told me about your lowest moment going into the dark sitting in 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 in, yeah. in in the checkpoint uh getting warm and talking for too long oh and <laughs> oh what, what was your lowest moment apart from perhaps well maybe pulling out at that moment probably wasn't your lowest was it because it was probably uh, yeah probably like I, say, you I, I honestly
2: happy. don't think i honestly don't think I, I i had a low moment you know i was having a, i was having a great time for for sort of uh you know 50 miles uh, and then, you know, restarted to hurt a bit too much for the last 10, but I was I was kind of okay with that. So like I said, I didn't, I, like I, said, I know it yeah. sounds odd when I didn't finish, but I, I didn't really have a dark, a dark, bad moment.
0: Yeah, I, I, do. I do. I think triathletes will find it bad because they think, oh, you haven't finished, it's a failure. But I think if you've got that, so that's a great mindset to have that, you know, I enjoy the whole day out and it doesn't matter. I can always go back and do it again. Um, I'd, I'd like to finish then. Um, Steve, What what was yep. your fate? You, what, your your favourite moment, please, from the whole um, weekend, the one that really sticks in your mind.
3: Um, I, I, can I give you two? I'll give you my favourite period and then my actual favourite moment, if that's all right. Go my favourite period was kind of like immediately after, you know, I said I had, a bad, I had a bad patch just before Ambleside and then in the checkpoint, but then actually summing up the courage to get out, You know, not the courage, but, you know, the motivation to get out from the, the checkpoint from from Ambleside to the next checkpoint, um, I sort of you know I went out and no planning or anything. It was just a group ha- happened to leave Ambleside checkpoint together, um, and we were pretty much we were all walking. Nobody was running. We were all walking. Um, there was a couple of guys on the hundred, who one was one was definitely a, a a Yorkshireman. I've no idea what his name was, but his commentary was very entertaining. Um, so from there to uh, is it Chapel Style next the next checkpoint we were pretty much all together um, and and fr- going from dreading going out of Ambleside and, and going through the dark and knowing that I'd be walking because you know it was a it was dark B I was knackered um, it, it was just there was a, probably twelve fifteen people um, pretty much together all the way to Chapel Style. Um, I wasn't chatting. I was just listening.
0: Were you singing, Steve? By that time, uh, I need
3: to myself. I need to mis- <laughs> <laughs> um, So that was, you know, that actually, and and also, I think that, you know, it was it was re- a relatively. I will mean, say it was a relatively warm evening. Mm. Um, you know, it, I think it was raining on and off, but I do remember sort of being in a t-shirt um, for that uh, for that period. Um, so that was actually you know, quite a nice, just a bit of camaraderie, really, you know, um, everybody sort of uh, helping each other get through. My absolute favorite point was that, again, towards the end, it was just at the top of um but where the copper mines are. um and i I just thought my uh, I had my head torch on, and I just remember thinking, oh, my battery's going because I couldn't see the beam on the ground. And then I actually realized it it got light. and that was just it was just a really nice moment oh (laughs) I've I've run through the night it's getting light and and I was basically I was on the top just about to start the last uh the last descent to Coniston um so that was probably the the well it was definitely the sort of the the high point really it's Um, always nice when the sun comes up.
0: Owen what, what was your favorite moment from the event?
2: Well, very similar to Steve. I mean, obviously, well, the start, as we've mentioned, but then, but then, uh, dawn, dawn on Saturday, you know, I'd run through the night. And then, uh, as the sun was coming up, it stopped raining. Uh, I was on Blencathra, uh, looking over to Helvellyn. Uh, and you can walk back towards Derwentwater in Keswick, you know, there was, there was a rainbow out. It was just a, like a really magical moment, really. The, the the sun up on the sun up on the Saturday, that, that was great. Um, and then, uh, I had friends doing the fifty as well, so I you know I, mean, I had a great time on Saturday night and into the wee hours on Sunday morning. Just just in the finished tent, I've spent an absolute fortune <laughs> in the beer tent <laughs> uh, watching uh, watching and cheering friends coming and buying them beers when they did. So that's uh, that's always a good bit of the race, a good bit of the event as well. Mark, I'm going
0: to let you finish off. Um, I know you've done 16 of these now. You must have amazing memories from all of them. What what was? Uh, and last time we were talking, you you were telling us about some of your some of your memories from previous events. Um, is there anything that sticks out in your mind for this one?
1: Um, I mean, for me, presentation's always the best part of the, the um,
3: weekend. Yeah, you certainly enjoyed it, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 Might have had a few beers, yeah. Um, presentation's always best part of the weekend, just because at that point, you know everybody's finished as well. So from the very start all the way to the end until the last runners in you're always concerned that someone's not going to get back you know uh-huh. so once everybody's back that's that's the best part of the event because you can finally just relax and go right it's over it's done and then have the presentation and then it's just the stories from the presentation and there's the stories are different every year uh-huh. but i think the um you know probably well documented all the stories but i think the guy rich price this year was probably the best one for me the guy who have been a uh, You know, he was an alcoholic and had been in hospital Mm. and he'd come out and he'd been given like months to live and he couldn't even Mm. walk and he was homeless. And then in lockdown, he started doing a bit of jogging and then he, he, you know, got, his wife had uh, entered the 50. He met, he met this lady, then became his wife and she'd entered the 50 and then he came and watched and then he entered the 50 and did the 50 this year. And just that story's, uh, you know, those kind of stories are are amazing, really. Mm. So I would kind of say, you know, it's not, um, it's not legend that the event doesn't make legends it's kind of the legends who make the event really so if you look hard enough there's always these stories in any event so you just got to make sure you find them and put the spotlight on them really
3: uh, i can i butt in there was a couple of i thought brilliant moments in the um in the awards once i think there was one where um you had the proposal didn't you yeah and uh, the, the wedding the marriage proposal which was which was superb and then just again simple thing i think uh, did, wasn't there somebody that finished a hundred as as you were on stage?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So we, when we have the presentation, there's usually still a few people still to finish. Yeah. So we just brief the marshals that if anybody finishes, bring them to the back of the presentation hall, and the last finishers will get to walk through the you know down the centre of the presentation hall, and we'll get yeah. them up on stage and award them on stage. So yeah, I think watching it, probably everybody wants to finish last now, just after the presentation <laughs> started.
3: Yeah. No, that was superb
1: yeah
0: brilliant well it sounds like you've all had a great time um uh and it's you know with time those um those bad bits and the painful bits uh fade a little mm-hmm. bit don't they and um you're left with some really good memories so uh thank you all for being here mark um appreciated for your input and everything to um t- to this conversation and obviously kudos to you for such a great event um steve um fantastic challenge well done for stepping up this year of course it'll be christmas soon and we'll have to do another grumpy old coaches podcast i am actually doing my challenge i know that this um, fell by the wayside but we're off gravel riding in in romania for five days um oh in, in a in a few days time so that that'll be my challenge for the year uh, owen um congratulations on on getting to 50 um i Thank really you. admire your attitude yeah. and, and your mindset for that and i'm i've no doubt that uh, given a couple more years experience and you know thought about preparation you'll you'll be back and you'll be you'll be making your way to the uh to, to that marquee just as the awards are coming on so mark can welcome <laughs> yeah, you on yeah stage. I'll, I'll have to time it
2: right yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right well again th- thanks folks congratulations on that and um i look forward to getting you all on another podcast to talk about another major challenge at some point always no thanks, thanks all, right. all right take care right, thanks folks yeah Bye. bye Thank you again to Owen, Steve and Mark for being my guest on the show this week. If you're interested in taking part in the Lakeland 50 or 100, I'm sorry to say, although not for Mark's sake, he's very happy, that the 2024 event is already full. So it means you've got 18 months to prepare for the 2025 event and be ready on your marks when entries go live towards the end of next year. To make sure you don't miss any one of our future episodes, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. And while you're there and if you've got a bit of time, I'd really, really appreciate it if you can leave me a review on Apple Podcast telling everybody why you like this show and hopefully that'll encourage us to get a lot more listeners. Also, I wanted to ask you this question. Do you like reading or listening to audiobooks? It turns out that a lot of our guests enjoy this and so we have been asking them and every episode to recommend their favorite book, something that's inspired them or captivated them. And we've got a list of over 200 now. So if you'd like the full PDF book list, please look for the link on the show notes and we'll make sure you get that. And as I mentioned, those show notes, there's lots of links on there to topics we covered in the show and to um, other stuff that we've talked about previously. So please do go and visit those. All right, that's everything that I've got for this week. I will see you on a future episode. Have a good one.